in three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. What's going on, buddy? Not too much. How about yourself? Uh, hectic week. Uh, I'm going out of town tonight, so uh, it's kind of a shortened week, and my shout-out, I guess I'll get into it quick, because uh, <laughs> because of my shout-out, my week's a little hectic. Uh, Tim, good buddy of the show and uh, attorney in my law firm, good friend of mine. He just had his little one, uh, Christian. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, Christian Asimo. So shout-out to him and Victoria. It's their first. So Tim's taking a couple weeks, a couple hard-earned, deserved weeks off. Absolutely. Um, and Ali in the office is covering bases while uh, Tim's gone. So my shout-out is to Tim and his wife. Well, that is a fantastic shout-out. But, yeah, so it's been hectic. I'm going uh, racing this weekend at Road America. Where's uh, that at? In Wisconsin, Elkhart okay. Lake. We're driving uh, an endurance race. So it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's 20 hours of racing, 16 or 20 hours. Mm. Okay. Um, driving, a, driving a Boxster. Awesome. For a team that I haven't driven for before, but I know some of the guys in the team, and it should be a blast. So excited cool. about that. What about the weather? It's going to hold out now. They were calling for snow a couple of days ago on Friday, and I said, well, that's going to fucking mm, suck. Yeah. Because um, they'll call races for thunder and lightning because corner workers have to stand out there and wave flags, sure. and that's dangerous. But it was calling for snow, then it was calling for rain, and now it looks like it's going to be uh, cloudy and sunny. So cool. proof that weather people five days out are not very accurate. Uh. Never so. listen to him. Yeah, All right. don't say that to Paul Conrad, who was a guest <laughs> of the show. He'll be the first one to tell you. Anything he actually did. He did on outside of forty-eight hours. It's uh, it's tough. It. So yeah, yeah, so that's me. What about you, buddy? All right. Uh, well, hello, Paul Conrad. Uh, he's not my shout-out though. So I was watching the news, and you might have already seen this because it was all over the place. There was a gentleman. The well, the Boston Marathon was uh, this week, and there was a gentleman. His name is Mika Herndon. I hope I pronounced that properly. Uh, Ex-Marine, ran the marathon. Uh, it was that. his first time doing it. And on his shoelaces, uh, he had three different names of Marines that he uh, fought with who we lost in battle. And he wanted to run it for them. So he's running and got to about mile 22 and his legs locked up. And this man, I'm gonna put up, I know it's a little delayed over by you, but I'm gonna put it up in a second. Um, this gentleman crawled the last four miles saying those names because he would not give up, would not accept help. He wanted to cross the finish line. We're watching that right now. And he did it. And he said there was nothing that was going to stop him. So that is my shout out because that's cool as hell. That's endurance. Well, I'm, I'm seeing I'm inspired. seeing the start of it on my side now. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Do you know what happened to his legs? They just they just knees let out or yeah, seized up. He just uh, they just in the interview. I I couldn't play it all here, but yeah. in the interview, uh, he said his legs locked up. That's the term he used. Uh, oh. So I don't know if it was just muscle fatigue or if it was his knees or what it was, but he uh, he said he. He's a Marine. He starts, uh, excuse me, he's a Marine. He finishes what he starts, and he was doing this for them. And everything that he went through in those last four miles, he said, was nothing in comparison to what those guys went through in battle. And so he, uh, yeah. Well, if I don't finish the Alcatraz Triathlon, I'm going to feel like shit now. Yeah, <laughs> baby. <laughs> better finish it or crawl, crawl yeah. the rest of the distance. Well, pretty much. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. And, yeah. Uh, it seemed 
incredibly shout out worthy. Yeah, so he's a tough, tough guy, and I just that's uh, a lot of grit. Yeah. So that's our that's our shout outs. What? Uh, so before we start, I was gonna yeah. let everybody know this is episode fifty. It is. So indeed. it's kind of cool for us. We got to fifty. Hopefully, we'll get to one hundred fifty more. Um, so for those of you who've been watching from the beginning, you kind of know the basis of Wheelhouse. For those of you who are newer or watching for the first time, I've seen a couple names pop up that cool. I haven't seen before. Very nice. Uh, we started this sometime last year, April-ish. Yep. I think our first live show was actually a year ago last week. Yes. So it's basically our one-year anniversary. We skipped two episodes, uh, so 50 weeks. Yep. Uh, Throughout 50 weeks, we've had some incredible guests. Thank mm -hmm. you to them for coming on. Absolutely. You know, our mindset behind this when John and I met was to put on a show that was Chicago, mostly Chicago-based, brought on yeah. entrepreneurs, business owners, influencers, people in Chicago so that we could learn from them, we could mm -hmm. ask them great questions, and our audience can learn from them, and then also be able to help push local businesses and people as much as we could. For sure. Yeah. Um, and background, you and I had met uh, hosting the... Um, the Real Estate Rumble. I was yep. on WGN's Market Overdrive, and yep. we just kind of wanted to do the show. So another shout-out to you for all the hard work you've done. You know, for those of you watching, uh, I'm usually on air. John is on air from time to time, but a lot of our great guests are because John has spent a lot of effort and time reaching out to great guests, great people who are influencers, and just asking them to come on the show. And we've been mm -hmm. very lucky because very few people have turned us down. Correct. Um, so for those of you watching, thank you. You can find us now on a website. It's relatively new, aewheelhouse.com. Yep. We are on Spotify. John's going to correct me when I <laughs> fuck this up. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. Yep. And, and we are now on iHeartRadio. Woohoo! So basically anywhere you guys can download us and listen to us, please do. I know yeah. some people watch this live on Facebook. We're also on YouTube. So you yep. can actually get these videos live on YouTube. Like if you yep. watch Joe Rogan's podcasts. Right when you're done watching Joe Rogan, you can watch us. Subscribe, um, please. Yeah, subscribe to our page. And um, the more you guys share us and the more you guys um, watch and download us, the more we can do with the show. Absolutely. So we appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Anything else from you? Because I'm no, excited to was, jump into uh, our guest. It, it's, been, it's been a hell of a year. Yeah, it's been I'm fun. Looking forward to another hell of a year. Um, and we've got, you know, a lot of people, like you said... Uh, oop, I got the wrong name up there. There we go. I'm not Mo. <laughs> uh, but, you know, LinkedIn has really been uh, an avenue that I've used to reach out to a bunch of people. And you're right. There's so many people. I've made a lot of contacts, had a lot of conversations. Um, actually, our guest today, that's how we started talking, was LinkedIn. Um, you were in searching for booze late at uh, night and just I was, I stumbled was not, across. I was I was not searching for booze, uh, but it's a as we'll get into momentarily. It's a great story, uh, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of nice people who one of the things that I always say that they most people really attach to is that we want to inspire aspiring entrepreneurs, and we're looking to people such as today's guest and past guests who have really paved their own way and and uh, gotten down the path of success you know they want to share their stories they want to help others and that's that's kind of cool that's that's good to know and so that's why people so often will say yes and then uh, you know the way you handle the questions and everything people w will generally watch 
an episode or two and then call me back and be like, yeah, man, that's great. All right, yeah, let's do it. So it's a combination. That's a partnership. That's what this is. And uh, shout out to you for being in front of the camera and, and having some great conversations. And, and uh, Thanks, buddy. You know, I got a shout out. Look yeah, at that. Absolutely. So all cool. that being said, I'm excited. I'm going to get myself off camera. I'm going to put you on camera so we can get out of the way and let this man talk. All right. Awesome. So our guest today, we have one guest and I think we're going to have a lot of cool conversation and sometimes we have two guests for those of you who are new, but I think today's guest will fill the show pretty nicely by himself. It's I Paul Hlutko, right? I yeah. I didn't yep, mess that me. up. He's the founder and CEO of Few Spirits. It's a um, local distillery. I'm going to let him tell you what Few Spirits is, what they do, and how you got involved in the liquor business because I think it's a cool story. Sure. Well, yeah. Like I said, I'm Paul. I'm the uh, founder and president over at Few Spirits. And you know, we're a small distillery based in Evanston, Illinois, uh, making um, virtually mostly all, uh, all uh, virtually all whiskey. Uh, make some gin too, and uh, but everything from scratch. And we try to re. Oh, thank you. Uh, we try to kind of one of our goals is to kind of bring bring back the art of distillation, uh, and kind of make it ours rather than something that is uh, you know effectively just controlled by large conglomerates. Awesome. And okay, so for for those of the people for those people listening who don't know how whiskey or gin. Is produced. Do you want to kind of let them know what the process is? Oh, sure. I mean, for the, I mean, really, it's somewhat simple, and you know, you boil stuff and collect the vapors. <laughs> uh, but obviously, there's more to it than that. And what we do is we uh, we go out and we find some of the finest Midwestern grains we can get. Uh, all the grain we can get is from as close to home as we can find it. Uh, we cook it, uh, break down that grain into starches, uh, added malted barley, and that malted barley is going to convert all those starches into sugars. Uh, then you add in yeast and convert all of those sugars into alcohol, uh, which is, of course, kind of the whole point of having whiskey and gin. Uh, and once that's done, we just kind of separate the alcohol uh, from the water and grain uh, via distillation. Like I said, boil it uh, and collect the vapors, and then that's the alcohol. And then for our whiskeys, we let that set in barrels uh, until it's uh, nice and tasty and ready to drink. And what's that process length like? It's about a week from grain to liquid. Uh, for whiskeys, obviously, it sits in barrel for several years until it's ready to drink. Uh, but the actual process of you know, taking grain uh, and turning it into an alcoholic spirit is about a week. Okay. And that's the interesting thing we were talking about off air is because you got to put it in the barrel and then you got to wait. It's not like when I opened my law firm or my real estate office, I would just I filed an LLC and I opened an office. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go. I can sell you my services. Yeah. You guys have to wait a while, right? Yes, yeah, so we make all our stuff and then it sits in a barrel for some time. So it's a little bit different than a lot of businesses because the cash flow cycle is... Uh, uh, Delayed a little. Unpleasant yeah. might, be the, might be a polite way of saying it uh, because you're putting your capital down up front and you're not going to see any revenue on it for an extended period of time. Uh, and so there's an awful lot of challenges that come up uh, business-wise from just the nature of the whiskey business. and But that's part of being an entrepreneur, I guess, is yeah. you know, there's always a problem. You just got to solve that problem and move on to the next problem. Right. And how did you, what, what made you want to get into uh, distilling whiskey? And uh, I, I, were you doing more gin at the beginning and it's just kind of transitioned into heavier whiskey now? Uh, we've been making whiskey all along, but okay. it, it takes time. So uh, sure. our fraction of sales has kind of changed. Uh, we don't make that much more gin than we used to. We make a lot more gin than we used to, but uh, our 
ratio of growth is heavily weighted on whiskey. Okay. Um, and I think you asked like, you know, how I got into it. And so, you know, the obvious answer of, well, you know, I like beverage alcohol, yeah. uh, but that's never really going to sustain a business just because you, sure. just because you like beverage alcohol isn't going to mean you're, good, <laughs> good that's not really a business. It, yeah. Um, but I got a little inspired by some family history. Uh, and so prior to World War II, my grandfather's family owned what is now a major brewery in the Czech Republic. Um, you and probably most of our view, most of your viewers probably know what happened in 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, uh, the Nazis invaded uh, the Czech, well, Czechoslovakia at the time. Right. Uh, and personally, what that meant is, you know, they confiscated the brewery from my family and murdered everybody except for my grandfather in the camps. Whoa. And so after the camps, which, you know, again, my grandfather obviously survived since I'm here. Uh, but he spent the rest of his life trying to get the brewery back and never did. And so when he died, it kind of struck me that this whole family legacy and family history was gone forever uh, and if I didn't do something about it. And so few is kind of the result of trying to do something about this, uh, but to do something that is positive, something yeah. that's creative, something that you know, ideally if he were still around, um, he'd be pretty proud of. And it's not just raising a fist to the sky and blaming, oh, this happened in the past and, you know, woe is me. Um, we're trying to do something about this and be positive and create. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot more rewarding to be creative than to yeah. knock down or raise a fist or complain. Yeah. So I'm trying to do something nice. Good for you. I mean, that's quite the... Uh awesome backstory and passion piece into what you're doing. And I'm sure your grandfather, if you know, he's watching would be very, very proud of what you guys have done. Um, so when you guys started, explain the difference. So why would you, so gin's quicker to market. So you, you have to kind of sell it ahead of time. You can sell it earlier than whiskey because whiskey has to then age for a couple of years. Correct. Yeah. So gin, you know, gin making gins, it's various, very, very similar process. Uh, there's a little bit more to it. It takes an extra day, day and a half. Uh, but you know, when you're talking about, you know, when you're comparing a day uh, to a multiple year sales cycle, uh, you could handle that day difference pretty quickly. Sure. Uh, and so the gin business is much more akin to uh, cash flow cycles for an, for an awful lot of other businesses where you put your money down and then ideally, you know, 90 to 120 days later, you've been paid for it. Uh, doesn't work that way in reality, but yeah. you know, that's the that's kind of that sales cycle there. And was whiskey and gin kind of your mindset of what you want to do because your grandfather was doing that or because you really liked it? Uh, or both? both. I mean, my, grandf- the, my grandfather was really too young to have been doing anything uh, prior to the war. Sure. Uh, but you know, whiskey and gin just kind of made sense to me. Okay. Um, vodka is a challenging market space. Uh, crowded? Dom- crowded, dominated by marketing. Um, substantive differences tend to be a little bit more uh, subtle, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, whiskey and gin, there's actually differences in the products. And, you know, like we were talking earlier, you know, I might like one product more than you like it. You might like a different product more than I like it. But realistically, in the whiskey and gin world, whatever you like, it's probably pretty good. And whatever I like, it's probably pretty good. Yeah. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of bad stuff on the market. So to me, it just kind of made sense to play somewhere where a differentiated product has a reasonable chance of success. Sure. And 
there's crazy differences in price points between different whiskeys or different gins. I think whiskey, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be totally incorrect here. Whiskey probably has like a, a wider range of price points between like, probably. and I don't want to say good yeah. and bad, but just a lot of it probably is marketing. What's the difference between, let's say, like a $30 bottle of whiskey and a $200 bottle of whiskey? Is, is there a gigantic difference or is it good marketing place? I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, certainly yeah. there is, in fact, going to be some differences and there's some fantastic $30 whiskey out there. Uh, there's some so, so less fantastic $200 bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of that's going to be kind of a personal personal opinion. Uh, there is bad whiskey on the market. You can't pretend there isn't. But for the most part, that's going to be coming in plastic jugs that you find on the bottom shelf of your uh, yeah. of the liquor store. You're not going to really find truly bad whiskey uh, most places. It's the all-inclusive restaurants and bars in Mexico. That's where you get that. <laughs> I, I, would never, I would never say anything along <laughs> yeah. those lines. But uh, I said it, not him. Yeah, the, <laughs> there's an awful lot of good whiskey out there, but yeah. for the most part, the whiskey's going to taste different. And so just if you focus it on bourbon, uh, there's people out there that really prefer sweeter bourbons. You know, they probably aren't going to like my bourbon. My bourbon's going to be a lot spicier. Yeah. There are people out there that like spicy bourbons. They might like mine a lot, but perhaps they wouldn't like one of the sweeter ones. And it's a personal preference, and it's not a better or worse thing. It's, I like this more. We were chatting about that, too, off air. We were saying, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I like this or I like that. And I was out with a couple people a few weeks ago, and one person got a tequila on the rocks. Another got tequila water. And the guy who had tequila on the rocks said, you can't do that. It's like, <laughs> let him drink whatever the heck he wants, yeah. just the way he wants it. Um do you feel the same way, kind of? Just drink what you want? Drink what you like. And, you know, especially given my position, people tend to be a little afraid yeah. uh, if they feel like there's some sort of shame associated with how they like to drink. And I, I always find that really annoying because there shouldn't be any shame whatsoever. Um, we get a lot of people say, oh, I would never put your stuff in Coke. I'm like, well, if that's how you like your bourbon and Coke, then please put my bourbon in Coke. Yeah, just buy more of it. <laughs> buy, buy more, more of it. Coke. It's not like I don't drink my bourbon that way, but I don't like the texture of spirit in Coke. Just same That's thing, okay. Same thing <laughs> when somebody gets a steak and somebody wants steak sauce and somebody goes, you can't do that. It's like, let him eat his food. Let him right. eat however the I, heck he wants. I, I don't care how you drink your stuff right. and it doesn't make you more or less of a man. You know, you get this a lot, especially in whiskey where yeah. guys make, oh, well, you're less of a man if you don't drink cast strength whiskey and, no, whiskey actually is scientifically better if you add a drop of water, especially if it's at cast strength. It's a better whiskey when you add water. So why does that make you, or how it's does that manly. affect your manhood? It yeah. doesn't, it's irrelevant. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And scotch, for those people who are listening who might not know, scotch is basically whiskey from Scotland, correct? That's correct. That's just the, the yeah. area it's in. Yeah, so scotch is a whiskey made pursuant to the laws of Scotland, and there are more, there's more to it than just being from Scotland. Okay. But, for example, few, we cannot make anything labeled scotch because we're not in Scotland. Scotland. Now, we make products that adhere to the other laws of Scottish whiskey. Uh, we make a single malt whiskey that adheres to all of the laws of Scotland, with the exception of being in Scotland. Right. But it's not scotch, and it doesn't taste like scotch. The okay. exact same way that people in Scotland can't make a product called bourbon. Right. They can make a product called grain whiskey, but they don't make a product called bourbon. Only Americans can make a bourbon. Interesting. And we're, another thing we're talking off air on is all the weird, because you guys are in 38 countries? 
Yes. So 38 countries, and you have to deal with all the regulation, and I'll let you explain the bottling differences or some of them <laughs> in different areas. That, to me, seems like a cluster F of things to have to keep track of and in mind when you're distributing. I think there's always a lot of challenges, and you know, one of the blessings and curses of being in the distilled spirit business is all these regulations. Um, you know, I'm certainly all for operating in a regulated business, and there are many advantages to operating in a regulated business. Right. Uh, there are just some that are a little bit silly that don't make any sense, such as a difference in bottle size between the U.S. and the EU. Yeah. Um, what is the hard. difference in size? Oh, so in the U.S., uh, distilled spirits are legally only sold in uh, well, a couple of different sizes, but the primary one is 750 milliliters, uh, whereas in the EU, it's 700 milliliters. <laughs> so it's a 50 milliliters. So too. it's a 50 mil difference, and it is what it is. That's a different size, but it's... if. You know, the two could agree on one size that would make Makes it an awful lot of easy. eases. Yeah, our inventory would be a lot easier. And if you're distributing to different areas, do you find that people people's taste and um, I guess people's preferences in liquors varies dramatically from area to area? Is it is it country to country, continent to continent that you see bigger changes, or is it uh, is there any rhyme or rhythm to that at all? I think it's really various, but from what I've seen, and I've traveled pretty extensively and support a few. Uh, people all around the world really like the same kind of things. Now, the flavors might be a little bit different, okay. but uh, the trends of people around the world are trying to engage a little bit more with the people behind the products. and They want to have a little bit more of a connection to where it's from and why it's from and why does it exist. And they want to know more about it. You know, Where do you get your grains? How do you make this? Why do you do it that way? You know, they want to know answers to questions that maybe previously or a few years ago, you know, they wouldn't have cared so much. But I, I think they really do now. And that's one of the reasons why people all, all over are really kind of coming to few is because we have answers to all those questions and we're not ashamed of it. And we're pretty transparent. and We're proud of what we do. And so you know, certainly people in various areas are going to like different products more, like different products less. Um but that's the number one thing that I see that ties the whole world together is you know, people wanting to engage with the brands that they purchase. Yeah. Um, and Few. So when did you guys start Few? So we started Few, uh, I guess, a little, a little bit over a decade ago. We've now been selling and in business now for about eight years. Uh, I try to measure the business from when we actually sell something because uh, you know, my one line is, you know, until you sell something, it's a hobby. It's um, true. It's a, it's, a, it's a good tagline. Right. It's so once we sell something, now we now we're in business. Uh, you know, making stuff doesn't make you a businessman. Sure. Selling stuff does. Absolutely. And you're in Evanston. Yeah, we're yeah we're up in Evanston, birthplace of prohibition. Uh, it's where I live. Is that it's true? It's, yeah. I mean, I presume it's true. You wouldn't just say that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the guy that reversed 160 years of prohibition <laughs> in its birthplace. That's awesome. Um, we're in Evanston. Uh, we're kind of on the southeast side, so if you know Evanston at all, we're kind of by the newsstand. Uh, we're on yep. Chicago Avenue, just just a hair north of Main Street. Okay. At nine eighteen Chicago Avenue, you can find us online at fewspirits dot com, on Facebook at Few Spirits, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Uh, it's just Few Spirits. You know, we're distillers, not rocket scientists. We'd make it easy. Yeah, and you guys are all over the Chicagoland market, all over the U.S. market, obviously in thirty eight countries. Can't sell liquor online, so they can't buy it from your website, but um, you guys yeah, do. We, have... we partner with online retailers where you oh, can you buy it online. We just can't buy it from. Us, us directly. Okay, so that's the rule. So there's online retailers that are licensed to be able to sell them, but the actual distillery itself yes. can't sell it. 
online. We sell online. we sell on over the counter. If you walk in, we can sell to you. But otherwise, we always suggest people go to you know our good friends at Binnie's. Uh, if you're outside of the state of Illinois, there are a number of retailers ranging from you know one West Dupont in D.C. to uh, Ambassador Wine in New York to High Times in California, Master Malt in the U.K. Uh, my son do whiskey in France. Oh, um, a little, little respect to Notre Dame. Um, but, uh, you know, you can find us online all over. Awesome. And if somebody does come into few, you guys have a tasting room and you guys have distillery tours, correct? Yeah, we run tours on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we run tours. We run cocktail hours. We do parties all summer long in our alley. Um, you know, we really try to make it friendly and easy for people to come out, check out what we do and learn about it. Um, you know, we have the distillery and you can kind of come in, you can really learn all about the distillation process, how we do it, how other people do it. Uh, you can kind of really get a sense for what's going on with the sounds, the sights, the smells, uh, and the overall ambiance of what we're doing. You know, we run two shifts a day, seven days a week. So, you know, something's, you know, whenever you come in, there's something going on and you can watch our guys work in and, you know, really get a little vibe for how small we are and, People are always amazed how much liquor we put out of such a small place. A lot of might behind you guys. And you guys have, if you go to the website, because I was on the website, you guys have a, uh, a cool little recipe section with some really cool recipes for your liquor. Absolutely. Awesome. I mean, certainly uh, there's plenty of guys out there, like we said, that like to drink their whiskey neat on the rocks and Coke. Uh, but there are an awful lot of people out there that enjoy cocktails as well. And so we have you know, just a couple cocktails that we happen to like or that we suggest uh, some are a little bit easier, some are a little bit more advanced, uh, but it should give you, the home bartender, an opportunity to you know, make some good drinks, and hopefully it takes a little bit of that fear away of like, oh, I, I like whiskey, but I don't like drinking it neat. Right. Well, here, here's a here different go. way to consume it, and that's, it's okay. Do you find that the craft cocktail thing is becoming a little bit of a boom now? I see, I see it when I go to restaurants now. There's so many crazy craft cocktails, and it's becoming almost an art form. Um, for bartenders to put together these cool little craft cocktails. Yeah, and certainly the cocktail scene continues to explode and it's continuing to do really well. You know, it brings people into spirits where they can really explore and find out that, you know, there really is a cocktail for everyone. Um, you don't just have to be a manly man. Like right, it's not saying. a manly yeah. man. You know, there's, like, again, I, I don't really gender, like, there's no such yeah. thing as a manly cocktail or a woman cocktail. Um, Girl drink drunk is one of the meanest drunks out there, but that's a different <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's yeah. just, it's really what you like. So it's not that there's a manly cocktail. It's that this cocktail is perhaps a little bit sweeter. Right. This cocktail is a little bit more bitter. This is a little more robust. Um, I think it depends on your mood, too. I have a friend of mine, we were in Cabo, and he's probably one of the more manly men I know. He's probably 6'2", 220, and he got a strawberry daiquiri, and... We looked at him and we said, what are you doing? It was middle of the day. It was hot outside. He's like, I've been drinking tequila and vodka and everything all week. He's like, I'm just getting a daiquiri. I had a taste of his daiquiri. And I said, I'll take a daiquiri too. They're tasty. <laughs> They're tasty. There's two guys drinking a daiquiri at the pool. John's over there smiling, shaking his head at us. Yeah, but I had, uh, a, I had a great pina colada the other night. And it just really was exactly yeah. what I wanted. Where I wanted to get reminded of, you know, there are places in the world where there's, you know, beaches and pools and yeah. Was it's it when it was snowing nice. the other day? It was. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so good. It was so pineapple-y and delicious. What do you, so if you're not drinking, <laughs> if you're not drinking your whiskey or gin, any stuff that's your kind of favorite? I know we spoke off air, but the rest yeah. of the people... Um, I think right now I'm kind of getting really into sake. 
uh, really enjoying that. Uh, you know, like we were, I was kind of making fun of myself that I like the nigori sake, which is you know not really what the traditional Japanese like or appreciate, uh, but it's what I like, and yeah. it's okay. It's your strawberry daiquiri. That's, it's my strawberry daiquiri. It's you know it's a big bold flavor in sake, which is traditionally relatively subtle. Um, you know, great flavors, but can be a little bit more subtle, if you will. Uh, nigori is a little bit much more of an, at least to me, an American style where it's got a much bigger, bolder flavor. Well, the whiskey and gin guy probably likes bigger, bolder flavor. And that's okay. Do you sake <laughs> bomb ever? No. No. <laughs> just at home by yourself, just sake bombing. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, again, if that's how you like your sake, right. go for it. Go for it. That's, I don't really sake bomb, though. I saw a guy at, I hadn't seen that done in years, and the last time I had sake was just recently, and I saw a guy at the restaurant actually sake bomb. I said, well, I haven't seen that since Ron in Japan, like in 2002. Cool. No, there's, <laughs> there's a big uh, debate in the distilling community over uh, you know, one of the previous ways of consuming whiskey on St. Patrick's Day is uh, a mm-hmm. relatively offensive cocktail name, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, John's laughing. Yeah, John's well, like I do that all the time. Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, I, I don't know if I should repeat it or not. Oh, I think we should. <laughs> you can. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, uh, the Irish car bomb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not my preferred way of drinking, but it was you know some very robust conversation of oh come on it's a cocktail name versus mm-hmm. yeah but what does that really represent when you say that and you know it's kind of somebody that really doesn't you know, make Irish whiskey or really drink Irish whiskey all that much. I'm pretty neutral on it. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of interesting, but that's kind of like the sake bomb sake versus bomb. the Irish car bomb. Car bomb. I feel like almost anything that has bomb. liquor, liquor wise has bomb at the end is probably, <laughs> it's probably not good. Yeah. Some, some kid in college was like, this seems like it could work and they just did it and it caught on. Yeah. I'm not really, uh, the kind of guy that goes after cocktails that either have uh, sexual themes or bomb themes. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. Um, any destinations that you love going to for their, um, not just their liquor, but their kind of drinking culture? Uh, as far as like your know, cities or like City, yeah, bars? cities, countries. I think the culture in the UK is fantastic. And I think, you know, both London and Manchester have wonderful scenes. Um, you know, this, I think the scene in Vegas is coming on real strong and you've got some fantastic stuff going on there. Um, and it's a little bit of a Homer attitude. Uh, but I really and truly do personally believe that Chicago has the finest uh, drink scene on the planet. I agree. I'm biased. And, you know, I just think Chicago food and drink scene is so robust. It's diverse. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, you could enjoy the city of Chicago almost every weekend for however many years and go to different spots and enjoy yourself without ever repeating the same spot. It's it's unbelievable. Right. The uh the culture here, I think, really rewards quality, not just to be trendy or to be hip or cool. It's just a culture to me that really, oh, yeah, you're doing cool stuff. That's cool. I want to be a part of that. Not, ooh, look at how cool I am. Look what we're doing. Yeah. Or it's not showy and it's not dramatic and it's not going to be ever trumpeted from the top of rooftops. But I think the scene here in Chicago is the best on the planet. Do you feel as though um, people who are in the same business as you uh, collaborate a lot too? Because we had, we had people on the beer side of the business collaborate 
quite a bit. At least he said they collaborate quite a bit. Whiskey Gin, do you guys get a lot of collaboration amongst one another? There's a little bit different here for whiskey, but uh, I would say we're certainly all friends. Yeah. Uh, the collaboration scene hasn't quite developed the same way for spirits as it has for beer. That said, uh, you know, we at Few are parts of several collaborations across a def- bunch of different areas, ranging from uh, a project we do called the Four Kings, which is a collaboration between Few, uh, Mississippi River Distilling, Corsair Distillery, and Journeyman up in Michigan. Uh, we worked with Copper and Kings Distillery down in Louisville. Uh, we work with wineries all over the world. Um, we worked with the rock band The Flaming Lips a couple years ago, and uh, we're going to be working with Allison Chains this summer. Very cool. Um, so that's a little bit of a newsflash that hasn't really been officially announced anywhere. Look but at uh, that released on Wheelhouse. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we you know we do our best to kind of collaborate across category, um, because it's fun and it's rewarding and it's this shouldn't really be a competition. It's drinking. We're not digging ditches. We're not selling caskets. Yeah. We're bringing people together, and I think that to me is the joy of the entire alcohol business is that people come together, uh, friends and family over what we do. I love that. And we have uh, Jonathan, we have some people commenting. We got Susan Lally saying she's listening. Jonathan Porter says Irish car bomb sounds pretty good right about now. <laughs> well, like we said, whatever floats your boat, you yep. can have yep. as a liquor. Yeah. The, co- the cocktail might be good, but maybe change the name. Uh, we had, He also actually just commented, he said another old, on another note, love few spirits. Francis Elizabeth Willard is a huge story on our Chicago Prohibition tour. And while I love all their products, I really love the American whiskey blend that is their bourbon and their rye. Thank you very much. Yeah, from Jonathan Porter. And then Thanks, Jonathan. Lawrence Dunning, you hear that, Mo? Anywhere in my homeland is awesome. He's from the UK. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's Little not bias. drinking anymore. So yeah, he's got more bias than we do about yeah. Chicago, but he's not drinking anymore. So yeah, The UK is, it is awesome. Blast. It is fun, and uh, yeah, to, at least to me, and I don't know where your friend is from, but I, I, I love Manchester. Yeah. It's such a great little city. I was there for my, I have a cousin that lives there too, for his wedding last September, and funny enough, it fell on my birthday, or midnight hit my birthday, and we were in a tiny little sleepy town called Bath. Yeah. So I was down in Bath, and everybody went home and went to sleep, and uh, my sister went to sleep, my cousin was obviously with his wife, and I said, it's my birthday, I'm going to go out. And they're like, by yourself? I'm like... Everybody here seems like they're pretty cool. I'm going to go yeah. out and hang out with some people. And I literally walked out into a couple different bars by myself, made a bunch of buddies, and drank drank with everybody. Yeah. Bath is a great little city. Yeah, it was awesome. Great little town. Yeah, great little town and uh, a lot of cool little bars in that yeah. little old town. The, the scene in Bath, from what I'm told, is really coming on strong. Um, our Southwest England rep was just over a couple, about a month ago or something. Very and, cool. And uh, she was talking about Bath and Cardiff and... You know, Bristol and a lot of those areas kind of like in that area that they're really coming on strong. And that's awesome. It's entirely possible. I drank some of your whiskey down there and just didn't know at I that so. time. <laughs> I was I'd been drinking for about eight or nine hours at that point. So I'm not judging it's you. It's a friend, entire, this is a friendly space. It was a friendly space. Um, so people can go on the website. They can book the tours. They can do the tasting. So if, if you come in and you want to just do tasting, how does that work? So if I came in and I said I want to taste some come on in um you know we uh, we're ready for you on you know thursday friday saturday sunday okay Uh, so it tends to you're gonna get better service then okay (laughs) because we're staffed for you sure um but you know we do our best to accommodate anybody that comes in whenever okay awesome and it's all your stuff there right for the tasting it's all yeah we don't have anything else it's actually we're not allowed to have anything else other than ours interesting 
and how many different tastings do you get? So how many products do you guys have there? We have two main products, which would be our bourbon and rye, but we also have the tastings for uh, you know three of our gins as well as the American whiskey that uh, one of the viewers was commenting on. Uh, you can come in and check all those products out, see what you like. Um, and like I said, I mean, you know, there's three of us in this room. Uh, odds are pretty good that the three of us are going to have three different favorite products. That would be interesting. John, we should do that. So John and I sometimes go around to guest spots. That mm -hmm. would be a fun one for us to do. Yes. Yeah. And we, you, know, you guys are going to like different products. So yeah. Just, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That's We're gonna, okay. We're going to drink there and then go to Buff Joe's and have wings. Oh, so good. I, oh. I haven't been there in like a decade, too. And the other day I was driving by and I was like, I should stop at Buff Joe's. I just didn't have time. Yeah, so suicide or you get the regular ones? Suicide. Yes. Yeah, so good. Do you go a lot because you're in Evanston? Yeah, that I have to avoid going so much because I am in Evanston. <laughs> yeah. So, John, have you ever but, been? Yes. Yeah. So good. So good. And it's, I mean, I was going there when I was in high school because I grew up in the northern suburbs, and nothing's changed. I mean, it's the same thing. Oh yeah. Same meal. Got Buster Pops. Yep. RC. Sorry, it's not RC. Pop, yep. It's RC. That's right. Um, and you're not originally from this area, right? I grew up. Uh, I was born in Oak Park, but I grew up in Southwest Michigan. Uh, lived in California for a hot minute and then moved here in 93. So I've been here for quite a while. And Michigan has a surprisingly large, at least surprising to me, because I didn't know this until I was traveling to Michigan a lot. They have a big scene of um, distilleries. They have um, hops farms. They have breweries. They have a, they have a big drinking scene. Yeah, well, the production scene in Michigan. It's, it's a big deal. I mean, certainly Michigan, I think, is one of the big homes of some of the best breweries out there, uh, ranging from my hometown favorite Bells to you go right. a little farther north into farther north into Grand Rapids, and you're looking at you know Founders, and you're looking at New Holland, and now there's more and more distilleries popping up, like our good buddies over at Journeyman and Three Oaks. Yeah. But you know the that kind of culture in Michigan has always kind of been that we're going to build it, and we're going to make it. And, you know, with the drawing over the automotive industry, uh, you know, the, that kind of passion to make and build has always been really hardcore built into Michiganders. Do you think that's what it is? Is it, is it climate? Is it just that they are a state where, like you said, you got the auto industry and they kind of develop, produce, and that's just kind of their nature? I think you just kind of build. Like you, you build and you make stuff. And I think that's part of what makes Michigan, Michigan. And... You know, there's a good couple months of the year, especially kind of where I grew up, where you don't really have the ability to leave the house for right. a couple months. So you got some time to sit and cook and make and make some beer and, you know, do interesting stuff because you're not really leaving the house because there's 18 feet of snow outside. Right. Yeah. Kind of like us. Although Chicagoans do do go back and forth a lot. We spoke about where you were from and over there, yeah. you just kind of hang out at home because there's not a lot to do if it's right. snowing like crazy. Yeah. Chicago doesn't really get much snow. Yeah. You know. Lately, they haven't. Lately, but yeah. you know, growing up, it was, you'd have three, four times a year where you'd have you know, three, four, five feet of snow, and that wasn't Nobody you know, was plowing. Nobody was plowing near you either. And no one was plowing, so I mean, it was very, it's just very different where Chicago can get, you know, every now and then you get a pretty good snow, but for the most part, it's never more than an inch or two. Right. And you were, you mentioned at the top of the show that you guys uh, try to source grain locally or at least close to where we're at. Um, how do you how do you figure out where to go? And have you found that you kind of found the people that you work with now, and you you like that, or is that to me seems like it would be a very stressful thing to find the right places to grab the grain from? I think it's always hard, but you know we've certainly found some. We found our supplier, and we really like working with them. You know we've gone through a couple in over the past couple of years, especially at first. 
you know, trying to find the right people. Um, and it's just hard because you have to get quality grain and you have to get grain to your specs and it has to be you know, at the right price. Um, we had one grain supplier at one time that we had to get rid of because we disagreed with their uh, pest removal practices because uh, they were removing their pests from their property by shipping them to us. And we didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I would object to that pest yeah. removal process as well. We didn't like that, so they, you know they've been long gone. <laughs> uh, but our current supplier, um, you know, just good people, and we get great quality, you know, unassailable quality to our specs, and at a great price too. You know, it is still you guys a business. Have grown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure as you guys have grown and you're buying power and. Um, your success has grown. It gives you a little bit of a better negotiation. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been able to grow. I mean, uh, certainly when we were buying, you know, 2000 pounds of grain every, you know, every month or so, you know, we got one price, but now that we go through about 4,000 pounds a day, wow. um, you know, we get a different price now than we used to. That is a lot. So you guys, I'm, I'm guessing you guys have expanded quite a bit, at least in, your distilling process because 4,000 pounds a day, that we, just seems like a lot. We go through a lot of grain. I'm a very, you know, for, yeah. <laughs> we're a very important customer to our, so do to you, our do grain you, supply. So do you get consistent, and, and I'm completely ignorant to the process, is it grain every day almost being delivered to you or is it, do uh, they deliver a big, big batch? About, about two grain, twice a week. Twice a week. Yeah. A lot we of people unloading in, trucks. Yeah, we bring in about uh, 15,000 pounds of grain twice a week. Wow. That is a lot of grain. Um, it it adds up. Yeah. <laughs> so you are a very big purchaser for, for your distributor. Um, I always look at the liquor business and distilling and even distribution as, and this is, again, a layperson's view of it. It seems like a relatively crowded space. Now, whiskey and gin, maybe not as much as, like you said, vodka and maybe even beer with the craft beer world. Um, what do you guys do um, to just kind of stick out from the rest? Because you guys have obviously been very successful. I'm sure there's a lot of people who try to do this and don't have your success. Yeah, I think it's a very challenging space, and we just try to make sure that we continue to differentiate ourselves based on quality, based on brand, based on marketing. Um, we outwork an awful lot of people. Yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. Out, outworking is a pretty big deal. It's, uh, I, th I think across all businesses, I think, uh, I saw a post I've put post about, you know, why do realtors fail in the first two years today? I saw it and I said, well, I didn't have a chance to respond, but I said, it's because they just, they don't work as hard as the other people do. You know, they, they think everything should be, and I think this some failed business owners across the board, they think, you know, in one year they should be very successful. And when they're not, they get discouraged and they think, uh, you know, what the heck, something's going wrong, I have bad luck, yeah. and they don't just grit, continue to grit forward. Yeah. How, how come I'm not getting enough closings? How come I don't have enough sellers? How come I don't have buyers? Well, right. what are you doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I have a great cartoon on my uh, um, desktop on my computer, and it's uh, two guys sitting around at a lunch table talking, and the one guy says to the other one, like, you know, I owe all of my success to luck. But I didn't start getting lucky until I started working 90 hours a week. Yep. Hmm. It's true. <laughs> and it's, you reminded me of a good quote. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as being in the right place at the right time. You better be the right person in the right place at the right time. You know, you just, it, uh, you get luckier yeah. as you work harder. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Yep. Um, the other definition I've heard that uh, a lot of people like is that the true definition of an entrepreneur 
is that somebody who so desperately wants to avoid working a 40-hour week that they'll work 90. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's so true. You know, I, I told this story a couple times on air, but um, I remember when I opened my law firm, I was on Craigslist covering cases for 50 bucks, and I've had people sit down with me and say, you know, how, how do I start a law firm? And I'm like, buckle up. You're going to be working 100 <laughs> hours a week for very little pay for a very, very long time before it actually catches. It's 100% true. Yeah. I, I did that for a while. Yeah, John and I have been doing this for a year now. Yep. haven't seen any pay come in yet <laughs> nope <laughs> nope. nope coming soon yeah one of these days Pro- profit's an italian word from what all i can tell i, I don't really speak italian but yeah. uh, profit is some sort of nasty word as far as i can tell <laughs> yeah of, of course um so we always ask this and we actually just kind of touched on it any advice for somebody getting into business in general um it could be into your space but i don't think there's probably a lot of people that are got your grit and your determination and obviously the passion that you had uh, given your grandfather's situation to wait a couple of years to be able to make a profit after having to dump a ton of money into a business. That still to me is fascinating. Any advice for somebody getting into business in general? I think start? overall it's really, really hard to get into business and it doesn't matter if you're doing distilled spirits or entrepreneur webcasts or law firms or, hey, they're all, pardon my French, but they're all fucking hard. Yeah. And so the only way to really make sure that you're going to succeed at it is to find something that you are so desperately passionate about that you will crawl through glass and fire to do it. You know, if there is any way for somebody else to stop you from doing whatever it is you want to do, you're going to fail. But if you look at, you know, you cannot stop me from making whiskey. Right. I will make whiskey no matter what it takes. I love that. Period. So... When you once you find that thing that you will do whatever it takes to do, you are going to win. Yeah, because you have no choice other than to win. Yeah, you're determined. I mean, we we I can tell from the last you know well, almost an hour on the show now it went by pretty fast and the um the time before that your determination is very high and obviously we spoke you you work a lot of hours if you're not distilling you're not at few spirits and you're not consuming I guess <laughs> when you're when you're hanging out having sake what do you do uh, outside of work no i love my three kids you know we hang out take my kids to practice watch the kids games um concerts um you know i try to spend as much time with my kids as i can because that is what actually matters yeah business is certainly important because it you know, feeds my kids sure and you know, i've got a teenage boy I, I was gonna, it takes I was a lot of ask, food i was gonna ask how old are they <laughs> yeah i got a 16 year old daughter 14 year old son and a 13 year old daughter Okay, so getting but, to when they're going to start to appreciate the whiskeys and gins, but maybe they're, not quite there yet. They're not there yet. Um, certainly all my supplies at home are uh, behind lock and key. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're starting to, you know, f- it took them a little bit to sort of understand, but like when they were little, you know, they're always just super confused because, you know, they'd see all the other parents like look at me like, oh, he's so cool. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not cool at all. That guy's a dork. Um, so why do they think he's so cool? And like everybody's like, "Ooh, this whiskey stuff," but it smells bad in there, and it's silly, and it makes you do stupid things. I don't get it. And now they're teenagers, so now they're kind of like, oh, "All right, I got it. Dad's I see the cool you, Dad. <laughs> I see you. I see you. You would be the. I guess you can't go out of town because you'll be the house party. That would be the house party." If, if the yeah, high school kids were able to get into the house. It's it's trouble, yeah. Like I said, everything's under lock and key. But you know, certainly I never drank until I was 21. No. Obviously, I never did that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like if, had I tried to drink for my parents' stash, 
they would have known it really wasn't anything. Right. You know, my kids could take three, four, five cases of of liquor, and I wouldn't even notice. Right. You know, we have hundreds of bottles in the house. And 50. what's your address? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're at 401 West Ontario. Yeah. Sweet 302. Uh-huh. 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 Um, I think growing up, oh, man, my mom's going to watch this. I don't think I've ever confessed this to her because she watches. Um, I think the only thing I ever snuck was the vodka because I could fill it with and I fill, who, fill it with water. But I was always <laughs> conscious, even as a teenager, that if I do too much of that, then for sure they're going to know it's not vodka anymore yeah, have, because they drank, they drank it on the rocks. I've heard many stories of uh, you know people's parents uh, you know pouring gin and tonics for their friends and their friends going, I don't mean to be a jerk, but could I get a little bit of gin in there? And they'd be like, dude, that was a really heavy pour of gin. There's like three and a half ounces in that five ounce glass. <laughs> yeah, some somebody's kid is in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that was us. We uh, it was only vodka though. I guess I, I, I acquired the tequila taste later in life, but tequila would have worked too. Yeah. Uh, but it was later in life when I started to like tequila. Have you felt that? And that's the weird thing with me is as I've gotten older, my taste in liquor has changed too. Has that changed or have you kind of always had your home base with whiskey and gin and then, you know, other stuff you start to like? I think it's just part of being a person is that your chains, taste, taste change. And yeah. I think that uh, certainly there's, you know, differences. And I think as people generally get older, uh, their sweet tooth tends to diminish a little bit and their bitter taste tends to amp up a little bit. Um, at least for me, I've found that personally. But uh, I don't think that, I just think that's natural. I think it's part of being human, that yeah. your tastes do in fact change. Yeah. And we were talking off air a little bit because you had made a recommendation for when I'm going to San Francisco to go to a pretty cool bookstore. Um, any book recommendations? I assume you're a reader or presume you're yeah. a reader. Right. I don't read as much as I'd prefer, but uh, I, I love reading. Uh, my stock book recommendation book recommendation is always Infinite Jest by uh, David Foster Wallace. Okay. Uh, which if you've, if you've never read. I've never read it. Uh, highly recommend it, but okay. it can be a little intimidating because it's so long. So my advice is always just read the first 15 to 20 pages. If you don't like it, drop it because you're not ever going to like it. And okay. half the people love it, half the people hate it, but uh, you don't have to commit to reading all 13, 1400 pages. Wow, so it's a big book. Just commit to reading 20. Yeah. And then if you like those 20, then it doesn't matter how long it is, you're going to wish it was longer. Right. Uh, I've read it three times and okay. I, I will read it again. It's, it's I'll amazing. have to read the first 20 pages and if it's good, because I'm in the car so much, I've just been using Audible like crazy. Yeah, I would not do Audible, I would no. read it. Read it? Yeah. Okay. Sit down and read it, and it'll take. It could take a year. Okay. Yeah. First time it took. First time I read it, it took me a little about a year. Interesting. Maybe I'll have it be kind of one of the books I read alongside something else. Um, yeah, thirteen, fourteen hundred pages is it's a lot. as an audiobook even that would be. And don't don't, know, don't skip the uh, don't skip the end notes. Okay. There's about three hundred pages of end notes, and that's some of the best writing. Really? So wow. is that is that it on top of the fourteen hundred pages? It's part of it. It's part of it. Yeah. It's wow. But it's an amazing book. Okay. That's a good one. That's one nobody's recommended yet. No. Because we've had a lot of book recommendations, and sometimes we get an overlap, and some people have recommended some of the same stuff, but that's a first okay. for that one. And if you're interested in whiskey, uh, Tasting Whiskey by Lou Bryson. Okay. Fantastic book, or anything that Fred Minnick writes. Okay. And so for everybody watching, because we zipped through an hour there. We sure did. Um, that was fast and fascinating and also very informational for me. I love when we do these shows, and I learn a lot from it. Not not that I don't learn something from everybody, but mm -hmm. sometimes I learn a lot more, and this is mm -hmm. a cool space, and um, 
learned a lot today. I was. Uh, I knew, was it was gonna, I knew it was going to be good. You said it. You said, you said I'm going to learn a lot, and you said uh, yeah. this one's going to be really good. So they're all really good, but I learned quite a bit. And um, for those of you watching, check out Few Spirits. Go on their website. Follow them on social media. I'm going to, as soon as John and I can go, we're going to come by and do the distillery tour and taste, taste some whiskey do. with you guys. Um, yeah, that'd be good. I'm, I'm excited to do that. And um, thank you for the education on it. And um, congratulations on what you guys have done. I mean, to, to start a business, we, we say this every time a business owner's on here and we talk about their startup, it's hard, but I never imagined when you have a distillery business, especially for whiskey, you have that huge wait time. And that's brutal. It's brutal. And even when you start a business from go, you might not see any profits for two years, but at least you've began the process of making money. And like you said, there's that huge gap. So, Or if you're trying to then grow. Right. You still have to continue to put all that money in. So these profits, there are no profits. It just right. continues to feed the, all it does is feed the growth. Yeah, it's almost like when do you hit that balance point where it starts to become somewhat comfortable? It's got to be way past two years because... I wish I knew. Yeah. Well, you know, you remind me of another quote. It's uh, it's actually Bill Gates' quote, but Tony Robbins steals it all the time. And I, I like Tony Robbins, but it's uh, everybody overestimates what they can achieve in a year and underestimates what they can achieve in a decade. I love that quote because mm-hmm. most business owners think uh, the first year they're just going to kill it. And then they're like, I'm going to do it. And then in a year, I'm going to be you know so rich. And no, if, if, they, works. if they grit for a decade, then they might really shock themselves. Well, if you work really hard for 10 years, you can be an overnight success. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and you guys good. are in 38 countries now. And what a fascinating thing to learn about the different bottle sizes and uh, obviously the different regulations that you guys have to deal with. And you must have some good staff, too, because that, that seems like a cluster. It's a team. and like We, yeah. we have the best team out there, um, and it's great. You come to work every day with people who are as passionate and dedicated as I am, and it's really inspiring. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so kudos to you guys for that. Check them out for sure. I'm going to go and uh, um, do the actual tour. And if you're in Chicago and you're drinking someplace and you see the few spirits bottles, they're really cool. If you go on their website and you check out the bottles, I'm a bottle geek. I always kind of look at everything and look for cool bottles. You guys have a really, really nice bottle as well. Thanks. Um, check them out. It's It'll stand out for sure. And uh, mm-hmm. have some few spirits when you guys are out in Chicago. Thank you, sir. Um, John, what do we got going for next week? Next week, we have another very interesting uh, set of guests. Uh, I'm very excited. Again, uh, watching the news and saw a story about a 501c3 uh, that uh, teaches photography. And so what they do, Denise Orlin and Shirley Nanini, I hope I said that right. You probably uh, butchered the that. Name of the, the name of the 501c3 is Fresh Lens Chicago. And so what they do is uh, four or five times a year, it's, it's like a seven-week uh, course. But kids can register. Uh, they don't have to have their own camera, their own equipment. They bring kids in, teach them the basics, and then uh, give the kids uh, cameras and take them on field trips to museums and just all over the city uh, and teaches them about aperture and angles and such. And if the kids, they, they have to do like certain projects and if they complete them, Denise and Shirley gift them those cameras, nice wow. cameras. Very uh, cool. And what they said was, listen, you know, it's silly for us to teach kids 
how to do something. And then once they learn, take the tools away from them. Because a lot of the kids that go through these courses don't have the money. Sure. Their families don't have the money. Um, so why would we do that, get them all excited, and get them off the street, have them doing something that they can Positive. build a future, and then take the tools away? So the 501c3, they do events and uh, take private donations to fund all of this because they're, you know, it's expensive. Um, so they're going to come in, tell the story. Each one, they work together um, separately. What? They work together outside of this and then started this. Um, so they're going to tell their backstories, how they started Fresh Lens, talk about that. Also, we're going to set up the easel behind you. They're going to bring in four or five different framed uh, photographs from different kids that we're going to highlight during the course of Very the... Very cool. So they can... Uh, talk about where it was that taken and who took it and so on and so forth. And we're going to see if we can start doing some work on our website to promote some of this artwork. Awesome. So, yeah. It's what, gonna be a great a, uh, what a cool charity idea. Yeah. And, uh, I was, again, I was just watching the news and it came across and DVRs are great because it was, it was, you know, kind of background noise and it caught my attention. And I was like, what is it? Backed it up, listened to the whole thing, sent an email, and, and they're boom. coming on. Yeah, yeah. Well, like so. I said, shout out to you, John, because you you somehow find the best guests. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Shout that. out. I'm excited to see them next week. We're going to be yeah. on Wednesday at three o'clock. Correct. That was episode fifty, guys. Thank you so much um, for listening, watching, sharing us uh, for fifty episodes. A lot of the people I see watching now watch every single week, mm -hmm. and um, that's very exciting, actually. Yeah. We, uh, we really appreciate it and um, can't wait to give you guys 50 more and then maybe hopefully get to 1,000 like our good buddy Joe Rogan, <laughs> who doesn't know who we are yet. <laughs> he will. He will. <laughs> All right. And, and again, thank you very much to Paul for coming in. Check off your spirits. That, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. In three, two, one.